Chapter 6, Part 3. We should always take time to pray before going to another in hopes of repairing a damaged relationship. God's help will surely be needed. Sometimes sending a letter preceding a visit pays the way for a fruitful conversation. Whether the communication begins with a letter or a personal visit, sharing our pain honestly will reveal the depth of our relationship. If you truly seek a deeper relationship, you must share personally and wholeheartedly the pain. However, we must be careful neither to criticize nor condemn the person with whom we wish to restore a relationship. Empathetic listening. Either or both will trigger a defense mechanism. Instead of tearing down walls, criticize, criticism and condemnation strengthen barriers, nor should we self-righteously announce, I forgive you. Our friend or family member will only hear the offensive translation, I blame you. A better approach might be to say, I want you to know how much our relationship means to me. Our estrangement hurts me deeply. I wonder how we might work together to make things right. I want you to know I care and that's why I came. Corey, that was powerful. It's exactly because I just said I forgive you and all you heard was I blame you. So let me read this part again. A better approach would have been, I want to know, I want you to know how much our relationship means to me. Our estrangement hurts me deeply. I wonder what we can do to work together to make things right. I want you to know I care and that's why I'm here. Wow. Okay, on Sunday, Sarah Walker marched down the aisles at the close of the morning service to pray with her minister as the choir sang the invitational hymn, Just As I Am. As the two prepared to pray, the parishioner whispered, I have hated you for a year. I just want you to know I forgive you. You what? Reverend John Harris whispered back. I have hated you ever since you railroaded that business meeting in order to bring your friend on staff a year ago, she confided. Anyway, I just feel God wants me to forgive you. As the congregation and choir praised God with heavenly melody, the pastor turned around to the minister of music and said, keep singing. Turned back to the face of his penitent penitent church member, the clergyman protested. The church calls her ministers, not the preacher. I never railroad any business meeting. Yes, you did too. I heard it. I heard it that. I heard that train whistle, Miss Walker bristled. Anyway, I forgive you, let's pray. On the way home from church that day, Barbara Harris asked her husband, are you all right, hon? You haven't seen said a word since we left church. Yeah, I'm fine, he replied curtly. Honey, you can tell me, she halfway sang. Okay, you won't believe it, he erupted. Did you see who came forward in the invitation? Yeah, sure, why? Well, do you know what she said? I'll tell you what, she said. I have hated you for a year. Can you believe that? He growled. She said she just wanted me to know that she has decided to forgive me. Hated me for a year? A year? What do you think about that? He grumbled. Now she feels relieved and I've got a crisis of forgiveness? Sometimes silent pardon is wiser than a public forgiveness. When the person you need to forgive knows nothing of the problem, more harm than good may come from a truth session. Options beg careful consideration. 
Conversation, of course, may indeed promise the smoothest road to reconciliation. More conversations, quicker road to reconciliation. If not, we should practice private forgiveness. Forgiveness with prayer. When we choose to engage a person directly regarding a strained relationship, we will want to pray together with that person before parting. Prayer to God with the person, for the person, and yourself invites God into the relationship. Thanking God for the relationship while seeking God's forgiveness for any misunderstanding introduces grace into our pain. God can make the relationship better than ever. All things are possible with God. What do we do, though, when it is best not to approach an individual who causes us pain? Pray. We still pray. What do we do if we only, if the one who hurts us terribly is deceased? Pray. We still pray. Remember, forgiveness happens to the one doing it. We need to forgive others, living or deceased. We must let go of our pain and hatred. The question becomes, where do we put our hatred while we're on our knees in prayer? We lay it at God's feet. If we have not tried prayer, we have not tried God's way of dealing with our problems. No matter what, still pray. Forgiving Christianly. We choose to live Christianly. Treating others well, speaking gracious to them, and living a life positively requires faith, hope, and love, as well as a healthy dose, healthy dose of wisdom. When I say we choose to live a certain way, questions arise. Can I forget? Can forgiveness be willed? Forgetting cannot, for, but can forgiveness? We cannot make ourselves forget. Can we actually will away our anger and resentment? Emotions cannot be programmed. Isn't resentment a moral emotion? Is it within the power of the will to say, I will not resent what you did, or say, I will feel good about you? William James, a noted Harvard psychologist, spoke and wrote about what we call the as-if principle. Recognizing that emotions could not be programmed, James argued that the will should guide human actions. Actions can be programmed, emotions follow. Feelings can be compared to a caboose on a train that will function as the engine. James recommended that we go ahead and act as if a desirable reality already exists. If you act as if it already happened, it will become so. Suppose a strange relationship gets an intensive and is in need of intensive care. If we act as if wellness will prevail, reconciliation will prevail, then that will be a desirable reality that will already exist. For example, we may not feel like sending a card, speaking a kind word, or purchasing a friendship gift. However, by willing ourselves to do these healing actions, our emotions soon trans seem transformed. Sending that thoughtful message, saying those thoughtful words, just that innocent reassuring touch may not be able to help us will forgiveness, but it certainly can will the steps that lead to forgiveness and the quickest way to reconciliation. Transformation often surprises us and the other person as well. Through the darkness of a fallen world, the sages of old guide Israel into the bright light of practical wisdom. If your enemy is hungry, 
give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. From this ancient book of wisdom comes enlightenment. Warm acts of compassion melt ice. Heaping coals of fire upon his head refers to the shame felt by an enemy who receives mercy. The reward from the Lord refers to the peace the individual is given, internal, interpersonal, or both. In his book, Lincoln on Leadership, Donald Phillips notes that Lincoln was slandered, uh, labeled, and hatred perhaps more intensely than any man ever to run for the nation's highest office. Phillips relates that Lincoln was called a grotesque baboon, a third-rate country lawyer who once split rails but now splits the union, a coarse, vulgar joker, a dictator, an ape, a buffoon, and the craftiest and most dishonest politician that ever disgraced an office in America. Two of Lincoln's harshest critics were William H. Seward and Edward Edwin M. Stanton. Yet Lincoln, believing in the two men's abilities, appointed the former Secretary of State and the latter Secretary of War. Later, Seward wrote to his wife, the president is the best of us. Following Lincoln's assassination, Stanton, Stanton mourned deeply saying, now he belongs to the ages. Warm actions melt cold hearts. When forgiveness is given, melting the heart occurs. Warm actions melt cold hearts. In, in writing guided words to the believers in Rome, Paul quoted the passage cited earlier from the book of Proverbs and then added, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Likewise, in teaching his disciples, the Sermon on the Mount, how to live Christianly, Jesus acknowledged, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. In a gracious, more signaling goodwill to the South at the end of the Civil War, Lincoln ordered that Dixie be played at the White House rally. Offered a verbal olive branch, the president announced, I have always thought Dixie was one of the best tunes I'd ever heard. Later in his second inaugural address, Lincoln spoke graciously, with malice towards none, with charity for all. Lincoln was so reticent to execute a soldier accused of cowardice in battle, so determined to forgive that he once observed, if Almighty God gives a man a cowardly pair of legs, how can he help them running away with him? Grace transforms. I once read a story of two men who had been enemies for years. One became ill. Somehow, through a miracle of grace, who knows how this happened, the other man brought meals to the enemy every day. How long do you think they remained enemies? Forgiveness with continued prayer. What is the secret of godly living? Prayer. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus taught. Pray like this, he encountered. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Paul too urged, rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Prayer is the antidote for the universal human disease, hardening of the arteries. The related malay, Bacchus emiliosus, responds well to prayer also. 
Prayer is penicillin for sin sickness. Prayer is chicken soup for the soul. As a child, when I found the temptation to return meanness with hatred far too strong to resist, my mother would ask, have you prayed for him? Have I prayed for him? I'd protest. I don't want God to bless him. I want God to get him. Then mother would remind me, it's hard to hate someone you're praying for. Mother's neology has never been replaced by any theologian I've ever found. Whenever we suffer from a crisis of forgiveness, we will become, in the long run, either bitter or better. We all make choices about the kind of person we wish to become. It's very hard to hate someone you pray for. Genuine prayer in the spirit of Jesus transforms us into beings of love. As we pray for our antagonist's best, for his well-being and success, we journey from the gates of hell to the streets of heaven. The chariot that transports us there is prayer.